0: Well, this morning, I want to introduce to you a new sport. It's the sport of wife-carrying. Now, the name of the sport is self-explanatory. A husband carries his wife over an 831-foot obstacle course. The fastest time wins the race. Contestants are encouraged to develop their own carrying technique. But apparently, three carries dominate the sport. First, there's the wraparound approach, where the wife sort of lays herself over her husband's shoulders and he carries her fireman style. Second is the piggyback approach, where she just sits on his back. And then third is the more complicated style. It's called the Estonian. It's named after the country that invented the method The wife travels upside down on her husband's back with her legs hooked over his shoulders and her arms wrapped around his waist. It's more popular because apparently it distributes her weight across his back and allows him to go faster. Now, numerous wife-carrying competitions are held each year, but the world championships are hosted by the country of Finland. It's the sport's birthplace. And and here are the finished rules. I, I thought you would enjoy these rules. Wives have to be 17 years old, and they have to weigh 108 pounds. If a wife doesn't make the weight, her husband gets weighted down with a few sacks to kind of balance things out. The track is made up of sand, gravel, grass, a water hazard, and a climbing hazard. Now, you'll notice that these wives have helmets on. That's because if a husband drops his wife, and apparently that happens, (laughs) the couple gets a 15-second penalty. The only other rule, all participants are required to have fun. By the way, in case you guys are interested and you want to try this, the world record is 55 seconds. Wow. Well, this morning, I would like to talk to all of the husbands about wife carrying. As a Christian man, you're running a race. But as a married man, you're running that race while carrying a wife. It's Father's Day, of course. And I want to sort of qualify what I say today by acknowledging the fact that not every dad has a wife. Not every dad is married to the mother of his children. Perhaps you're a widower. Maybe you're a divorcee. You could have birthed the child out of wedlock. Well, let me say, in no way does your marital status diminish your role and responsibilities as a father. Our Father God expects all dads to be an involved, engaged, manly, caring dad to his children. If you're man enough to sire you need to be man enough to raise them. But there is wisdom in God's ideal. In Genesis, God laid out a blueprint for family life. He said, A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Here's how you do it. You leave, then you cleave, then you conceive. A man and a woman, they marry first, then they become fruitful and multiply. And there are many good reasons for this approach. There's wisdom here. Here's one good reason. Before a man takes on the heavy responsibility of carrying kids, he warms up with marriage. He does a little wife carrying. Because a wife is a much lighter load. Now, I thought I was an unselfish person before I got married. But I was only fooling myself. Oh, I was selfless when Kathy and I were together. But then I'd go home. And it was all about me until the next date. But once we got married, my, oh, my, I had to be unselfish 24-7. 365 days a year. It was a wake-up call. And yet marriage was just a foreshadowing of what it would be like when the kids came. Four kids and a wife? Now that will stretch any man's bounds of unselfishness. For the last 27 years now, my whims and wishes have played second fiddle. When I was single, I was the center of my universe. Today, my own personal desires are one of the moon's that surround a distant planet somewhere off on the edge of that universe. Here's my point. If a man can't carry a wife, he's going to have a hard time toting the weight of a whole family. Marriage is the obstacle course that prepares a man for the challenge of steering the development of children. Fatherhood training begins with marriage. God knew that wife-carrying would be a great sport for men who eventually aspired to be dads. Early in my marriage, I was told by a wise person, Sandy, the best thing you can do for your kids is to love their mother. And 30 years later, that still rings true. You see, here's the truth nobody ever tells you. Children measure a father's commitment to them by how he treats their mother. You mistreat your kid's mom and the kids will take it personally. Men, even if you're no longer married, even if your ex-spouse doesn't deserve it, for your child's sake, you need to swallow your pride and ask God to help you love their mom the best you can. Legally and emotionally, you might be divorced from each other, but your children still see the two of you as their parents. Now last time we were together, we studied Peter's word to the wives. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-6. through Today we're going to look at his instructions to the husbands. Verse 7 reads, Husbands... Likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Now we've learned from earlier verses that in the church and in the home, God calls husbands to lead and wives to follow. As in the sport of wife caring, husbands need to set the pace and take responsibility for their wives. A wife's calling is to line up in the direction of her husband and then hold on tightly. The Bible is clear. God calls husbands to be the head of the home. But we're to be loving, caring leaders. We need to be heads with a heart. Author Charlie Shedd, he gives this advice to husbands. Take charge, but not as a mighty potentate sitting on his throne, ruling his cowering subjects with an iron hand. No, take charge, more like a conductor standing on his box directing a symphony. Delicate but definite, subdued yet powerful. Male headship is a definite biblical principle. But don't mistake a husband's leadership for some kind of male-dominated hierarchy. Peter refers to married couples as heirs together of the grace of life. Yes, husbands and wives have different roles. But in many ways, we're equals. We're peers. Kathy's not only my wife, but she's also my sister. We're siblings together. She is my sister in Christ. We're children of the same father. Notice, ladies, your husband is your fellow heir. He's also the head of your home. You know what that makes him? That makes your husband an heir head. (laughs) That's right. Ladies, you have your very own heir head. But, men, here's the irony. If you don't understand what it means to be a fellow heir and what it means to be the head of your home, you really will be an heirhead. In God's economy, a husband carries a greater weight. He doesn't just sit back until his wife gets it in gear. That husband steps up. He's the one who takes the initiative and sets the pace. He begins to carry his wife. He knows that the buck stops With the buck. You got it. A wife will find it easier to obey God and submit to her husband when her husband mans up and acts in a loving, godly manner toward his wife. Now, as early as 1964, British psychologist Dr. Joshua Breyer, he made his first visit to America. At the time, he assumed that American women were domineering. But after further research, he changed his mind. This is what he wrote. Before, I thought that the women wanted to rule the country. But women are compelled to take over, not fighting to take over. They're forced to take leadership because the men are a bunch of weak-kneed, lily-livered sissies. I thought the men who attended with their wives some seminars I spoke at would shoot me for my remarks. But instead, they all agreed. It's still the fatherless society. The husbands are not husbands. All the women are crying out for a strong man, and he's just not there. This is the great social problem of our day. Where are the men? Where are the husbands and the fathers? You see, it's men who are giving manhood a bad name today. Men, rather than resent it, I dare say that nothing would please your wife more than for you to step up and be the leader that God has called you to be. Not in the wrong way. A godly husband isn't like the Sultan of Morocco ordering his wife around like she was some little harem honey. He's a tender leader. He's a servant leader. He's a sacrificial leader. But he is a leader nonetheless. Men, God wants you to lead. And deep down in her heart, So does your wife. And Peter gives some directives to husbands who want to lead their wives in the right way. In verse 7, Peter instructs us to love our wives in three ways. First, dwell with your wife. Second, understand your wife. And third, honor your wife. Dwell with her, understand her, and honor her. Verse 7 begins, Husbands likewise dwell with them. And I can hear some of you guys now, Man, I got this one down. We live in the same house. We even sleep in the same bed. We dwell together at the same table and ride in the same car. I'm dwelling with my wife, no problem there. But guys, living under a common roof is not the same as dwelling with your wife. You see, too many husbands are at home, but in body only. Their mind stays glued to the television, or the newspaper, or the video game, or it's still at work. Husbands, your house is more than a hotel you check into at night. God wants you involved in the plans and the thoughts and the routine and the activities of your family. Comedian Rodney Dangerfield used to say, I get no respect in my marriage. On my wedding night, my wife told me we were seeing too much of each other. Trust me, husband, you will never hear your wife make that statement. There's an old commercial where a man is sitting on a bed. He's talking to his son on the telephone. You can tell he spends lots of time out of town on business, and he calls home to check on his kids. But as he's conversing with his son, suddenly the boy walks into the room holding the other phone in his hand. The boy turns and says, Dad, why are we talking on the phone? Well, the commercial is for an airline that promises to get the businessman home more often. Yet, even though he's home, apparently... He's not really home. And every man in this room knows exactly what I'm talking about. You see, God wires a man for the rigors of work. We relish the challenge of carving out a living. We, we love the thrill of succeeding in the workplace. And this is good. This is where the way God made us. Yet men can get so wrapped up at work that we can become detached from the home front. We forget the reason that we're making a living is to enrich the lives of the people we love and to enhance our relationships with our family. You see, when a husband dwells with his wife, he connects to her emotionally, spiritually, even verbally. He spends time and shares life. They they go for walks. They have talks. He asks her how she's feeling and what she's thinking. Now, now here's an amazing truth that I have discovered firsthand from personal experience. Guys, did you know that you can better hear what your wife is saying to you if there's not a big newspaper being held up between you and her? Did you know that? This is a, a revelation that I've come upon lately. Husbands, you need to take an interest in what's going on in your wife's heart. A Harvard University study revealed that the average married couple spends 37 minutes in communication. That's not 37 minutes a day. Sadly, that's 37 minutes a week. On a recent flight, I I was reading the Delta magazine, you know, in the pocket in front of you. There was an article in the magazine on the habits of pet owners and the article reported that the average dog owner talks two hours a week to his dog (laughs) that means we talk four times more to our dog than to our spouse It reminds me of the man who picked up the remote control and then he turned and he asked his wife, he said, honey, anything you want to say to me before football season starts? (laughs) One night a couple, they were sitting there trying to figure out what to do. She called one of her friends, asked her what she was doing. Her girlfriend replied, he said, well, my husband and I, were just sitting here and we're drinking coffee together and talking with each other. She hangs up the phone and she turns to her husband and she asks, she says, well, why don't we ever just sit around and drink coffee together and and talk with each other? Her husband says, well, sweetheart, we can do that. Well, why don't you put on a pot of coffee? Before long, they were sitting there together. They were sipping coffee. They were staring at each other in silence. Finally, the husband says to his wife, he says, sweetheart, why don't you call them back and ask them what they were talking about? (laughs) But at least they're trying, Okay? Husbands, dwell with your wives. And then Peter says, to do so with understanding. In other words, get to know your wife. Well, I live with her. That doesn't mean you know her. That doesn't mean you understand her heart. You need to take note of her moods and her outlooks. And you need to hear her perspectives. You need to get to know your wife. I heard it put this way. Every husband needs to know what makes his wife tick, what tickles her, and what ticks her off. Remember your wife's background, her past experiences, her hurts and her highlights. You see, a lot of what your wife does today stems from stuff that happened yesterday. Make a study of her life Do some R&D on your wife. This August, Kathy and I will celebrate our 30th wedding anniversary. Thank you. I know Kathy appreciates you applauding for her. And there is still so much that I'm discovering about my wife. After 30 years, she's still intriguing to me. Understanding your wife is a lifelong ambition. Once I heard a guy scoff, I'd be bored if I was married to the same woman for 30 years. That knucklehead is only revealing his ignorance. Stay married to a woman for 30 years? And it's anything but boring? Over 30 years, I've gotten to know many, many different types of women. Because my one wife is always changing. Every five or six years, she's become a different woman. Kathy has proven to me that even perfect can get better. As a kid, we used to watch Bob Eubanks... And the newlywed game. Anybody remember Bob Eubanks and the newlywed game? Oh my. Bob exploited the ignorance that exists between husbands and wives. And on the show, it was so funny. But in real life, this ignorance hinders harmony. It's the thorn in the side of a marriage. Husbands really need to get to know their wives. Men, if someone asks you, your wife's favorite color or flower... Or her favorite perfume. Or the name of her childhood pet. Or her favorite Bible verse. How well would you score? And we're not even talking about the more intimate information. Her feelings about God and life and family. I think above all else, a wife wants to be understood She'll know that you care about her when you take the time to know what she cares about. A good husband is empathetic and understanding. He's a listening husband. Once there was a surgeon who was discussing a case with a class of medical students. And he asked all of the aspiring doctors, he said, Now, the muscle in your patient's right leg has contracted so that the right leg is now shorter than the left. Thus, your patient limps. What would you do under such circumstances? One doctor-to-be raised his hand he said, Well, I'd limp too. I'm sure the professor didn't recognize it at the time, but that fellow's going to make an outstanding doctor, and he's certainly going to make a good husband. A husband needs to be able to feel what his wife feels. He needs to be able to put himself in her shoes, even though that might take a while since she has so many pairs. Well, Peter tells the husbands to dwell with their wives and to do so with understanding. And then he says, giving honor to the wife. Dwell with her, understand her, but then also, guys, honor her. Compliment your wife on the job she's doing, holding down a career and managing a home. Thank her for being the greatest housewife on the planet. Respect your wife's gifts and talents. Treat her special around the house. Praise her in front of the kids. Brag on her in public and to your buddies. Always be quick to tell her how beautiful she looks to you. Reminds me of the British chap who was visiting America, and he noticed how American men would say to their wives, Honey, you, you look like a million bucks. He decided to try this when he got home to England. And so he went to his wife and put his arm around her, and, and but there was a problem with the translation because she wasn't real happy when he said, Honey, you look like a million pounds. If a husband wants his wife to be submissive to him and to arrange his life around her life around him, when he does achieve a success, he needs to make sure that he shares it with his wife. He lets her know he appreciates her contribution to what he's achieved. He acknowledges his accomplishments have resulted from teamwork. And there are all kinds of ways for a husband to honor his wife for the support she gives him. He can give her a day off from the kids. He can buy her flowers. He can get her some new furniture. He can even repair the air conditioning for her. Men know what it means to be rewarded and appreciated for a job well done. It means even more for a wife when it comes from her husband. I've always heard it said, treat your wife like a thoroughbred and she'll never be a nag. Peter tells us to honor our wives in two ways. He says, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Notice, Peter calls the wife a weaker vessel. And generally speaking, a wife is weaker than her husband In at least two ways. First, she's weaker physically. Annika Sorenstam was the greatest female golfer to ever play the game. She was an awesome talent, but when she played on the men's tour in the Western Open, she didn't even make the weekend cut. Annika was at the top of the women's field, but she lacked the raw physical strength to play with the men. It's not a slight, it's just the truth. Now, obviously, there are some exceptions to every rule, but generally speaking, the average man is going to be physically stronger than the average female. It's true physically. And it's also true emotionally. Again, generally speaking, women are wound tighter. They're more sensitive and more emotional than men. And that makes them more fragile. You see, growing up, me and my buddies, we played a board game called Stratego. We played games on boards, not on television screens. We played a board game called Stratego. It's a war game. You plot and you strategize and you try to pick off your opponent's pieces. It's mock battle. You're at war with your opponent. That's the game. Well, shortly after we were married, Kathy was pregnant. And she and I decided to entertain ourselves one night by playing some Stratego. Mom had cleaned out the garage and found the game. She'd given it to me, and I thought it'd be fun if Kathy and I sat down and played it. And I played the game the way I always had. I was laying back, camped around my flag, picking off her pieces in cold-blooded, ruthless fashion. It's a war game. And I couldn't believe how upset she got. I mean, she couldn't understand why her supposedly sweet, newlywed husband was being so cruel and so cutthroat. And I can remember after she picked up the board and threw the pieces on me. I can remember wondering how she got so emotional over a game. And I had a lot of time that night to study my wife. (laughs) Locked out of my room, asleep on the couch. It dawned on me that there were some definite emotional differences between men and women. Trust me, the sexes are wired differently. Women are more emotional than men. You see, men and women are both like drinking glasses. Gals are like these delicate crystal goblets. Men are like these durable plastic concession cups. You can toss around one of those cups without any fear of it being broken. Whereas you have to treat a crystal goblet with utmost care. It's beautiful, but it's fragile. You see, goblets are weaker than concession cups, but it's their weakness and it's their delicacy that makes them more valuable. Gentleness adds to their honor. You see, wives have a sensitivity that a husband lacks. And because of it, there are times when she's emotionally vulnerable. She needs her husband's understanding, not his impatience or his scorn. You see, a good husband anchors his wife's emotions with his clear thinking and with lots of compassion. On occasion, he needs to remind her that her friends might not have meant what she assumed they meant. There could be other explanations. At times, a husband has to settle his wife down and be a calming influence and remind her that God is in control and she needs to trust in Jesus. You know, when we took those childbirth classes, I don't know what good they were, but we did it. You know, we took the childbirth classes and all, and, and I can remember the instructor telling us that there would, become a, there would come a time in this whole delivery process when my wife would say stuff that she really didn't mean. Like, I'm going home. <laughs> like, I'm calling this off. I didn't want to have a baby anyway. I'm not having this baby. This hurts too much. And, and she would say things like this, and the instructor told us that when this happens, don't argue with your wife. That's a mistake. Just nod your head and smile gently and say, okay, honey, anything you say, honey, it'll be all right, honey. And you know what? I've discovered that's a good practice to do. I've had to do that a number of times since those childbirth classes. There are situations when I take to heart what my wife says. But there are other times when I need to let her vent her feelings without telling her how silly she sounds. A wise husband knows his wife and understands the difference. At times you need to consult your wife. At other times you just cover your wife. Once I went on a school field trip to Jekyll Island with Zach's sixth grade science class. And I was bombarded with more information on marine biology than anyone would ever care to know. Most of what was said sailed over my head, but I did learn one vital lesson. When the female Chinaback crab molts or sheds her shell, it takes several days for a new shell to harden. And for that interval of time, the female crab becomes dangerously vulnerable. Predators can take advantage it's during that period, though, that the male crab comes to her rescue. For the male China back crab, he covers the female with his body. The vulnerable female attaches herself to the male's underbelly. And for that time, he carries her until her own shell hardens again and she's properly protected. In other words, the male covers his wife. Now, husbands, there are going to be some times when your wife will get a little crabby. And in those times, she needs for you to cover her. Remember, marriage is like the sport of wife carrying. During her times of vulnerability, a husband needs to carry his wife. It's our job as husbands to provide her protection and reason, and stability. She is the weaker vessel, but her delicacy, her delicateness, only increases her worth. Now, Peter tells us to honor our wife as the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Your wife is not just your wife. She's also God's girl. And you would do well not to forget that. Treat her not as your servant. Treat her as your sister in Christ. When my daughter Natalie was in high school, we had a dating policy. I insisted on meeting the boy before he could take my daughter on a date. And it wasn't that I gleaned anything out of the meeting. Teenage boys learn rather quickly how to bluff their way through one of those father-of-the-date meetings. What made the encounter so strategic was what the boy would glean from the encounter. For I wanted to etch an indelible impression into that young man's mind that he was bringing my daughter home to a good-sized man, to a no-nonsense man, to a man... Fully willing to inflict physical harm upon anyone who threatened his family. To a man proficient in the use of firearms. (laughs) Any boy wanting to date Natalie needed to know that there was a man in her life that would hold him accountable for how he would treat my little girl. Husbands, we would do well to recall that there is an almighty God Who defends the innocent and defenseless. Who is able and willing to bring swift and stern retribution. And he is holding us accountable for how we treat our wives. For you need to remember, before she was your wife, she was God's little girl. And she still is. And notice why we need to dwell with And understand and honor our wives as a weaker vessel and as heirs together of the grace of God. There's a very good reason for all of this. Peter says that your prayers may not be hindered. Ever tried to pray after a fight with your wife? (laughs) You might as well waste, you know, save your breath. Don't waste your time. You know, your prayers just bounce right off the ceiling. In those moments, the only prayer that gets heaven bound is a prayer of confession and repentance. When there's friction between me and my wife, there is static on the line with God. It's as if I'm holding up a cell phone to heaven saying, God, can you hear me now? And God is sounding out thunder like, tell her you're sorry. Trust me, I have wasted hours trying to study for a Bible study to prepare for a teaching because the night before I fought with my wife and never apologized, I would have just been better off closing my Bible, going making amends with my wife, and then coming back and tackling the Bible study. If you want to keep an open line to heaven, then love your wife. Well, let me close with a final quote from Billy Graham's wife, Ruth. Before they were married, a young Ruth Bell was headed for the mission field. Her plans were to go to Tibet. She thought she'd never marry. She figured she'd never find a man who could live up to her high standards. Ruth penned these words in her diary. If I marry, he must be so tall that when he is on his knees, he reaches all the way to heaven. His shoulders must be broad enough to bear the burden of a family. His lips must be strong enough to smile, firm enough to say no, and tender enough to kiss. His love must be so deep that it takes its stand in Christ and so wide that it takes the whole world in. He must be active enough to save souls. He must be big enough to be gentle and great enough to be thoughtful. And his arms must be strong enough to carry a little child. You see, this is the kind of husband my wife deserves, and yet how often I fall short. Husbands, your leadership sets the tone for your whole family. That's why you need to be a loving leader. You need to dwell with your wife, and understand your wife, and honor your wife. And not just for a week or two. You need to keep this up for a while. And if you do, you'll see your wife start to appreciate and even submit to your leadership. Always remember, the buck stops with the buck. Men, I hope you'll aspire to be world champion wife carriers. Become a good one, and your wife will squeeze you tightly and enjoy the ride. Won't that be fun? Father,